Good evening, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks on Tuesday, January 11, 2021. And it's time for episode two of season two, covering the third quadrennial election, uh, presidential election of the United States. Now, a few key, uh, key things going into this election is this is the first election where we do not see George Washington on the ticket in the race. He made a somewhat unpopular decision towards the end of his second term not to run for a third term. Uh, so it was really much, uh, really, really in the air who was going to become the next president of the United States. Um, now, it was held from Friday, November 4th to Wednesday, December 7th, 1796. Um, and something I'll get more into towards uh, later parts of this episode is that it's going to be the first contested American presidential election in history. I, I mean, think about that. We, we only get to the third election in this country for president before we run into issues and it gets contested. Um, now, it is this election that actually leads to a huge change uh, in the way the Electoral College is decided. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually happens in 1804 when that is changed. But if you think about the dates, not going to be the next election either before those changes really go into place. So who are the key players? Who is the key parties? Um, by this time, we have entered into really what I believe is the first era of political parties in the United States. So I want to point back to the second election that Washington won as when the first era started. But in 1790, uh, 1792, there was really only one American uh, party at the time, uh, and they weren't even really solidified at that point, but it was the Democratic-Republican Party. By the time we get to 1796, there are indeed two uh, different federal uh, political parties in uh, the United States. And it is the Federalist Party, which is at that time was primarily a northeastern United States uh, centric party. And you have the Democratic Republican Party, which is pretty much the southern uh, party of the United States. Uh, interesting when you think about uh, the fights between the Democratic and the Republican Party over the South, it used to be a f- fully Democratic Party uh, area. It's since become a fully Republican um, area. Uh, but in this first full election where we see the first era of political parties, uh, the Democratic-Republican Party controlled the South. Now, who are the main candidates going into this election? For the Federalist side, you had John Adams, who was the serving vice president, you have Tom P- uh, Thomas Pickney, uh, running again, obviously, the former governor of South Carolina. You have Oliver Ellsworth, the U.S. Chief Justice, who was from Connecticut. John Jay, again. Keep in mind, he's now run for three different elections. Uh, governor of New York, James Iredell, who is Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court from North Carolina. 
Samuel Johnston, who is a former U.S. Senator from North Carolina, and Charles Coatsworth Pickney, uh, who was the U.S. Minister to France. Uh, he was also from South Carolina. Now, that name, that name sound familiar. Name may sound familiar. Uh, he is a part of the Pickney family. Uh, and I just want to have this in my head, and it's gone. Okay, he, he was um, the son of Charles Pickney. So you actually have in this race father and son running against each other. Or sorry, they're, they're, they're cousins, sorry. No, that doesn't feel right either. Who are you, Charles? And I'm just looking at the information. Oh, uh, here, here we go. I was way off on that. Let me, let me do a take two just within the episode. Charles Pickney, uh, who was the U.S. Minister to France, was the older brother of Thomas Pickney. Uh, from, they were both from South Carolina. Charles was the U.S. Minister to France. Thomas was the former governor. Uh, who did we have running on the Democratic-Republican side? We had Thomas Jefferson, who was former Secretary of State. Aaron Burr, who is U.S. US Senator from New York. Samuel Adams, not to be confused with the beer, Governor of Massachusetts. And George Clinton, former Governor of New York. Uh, now, to just go a little bit over who, what the two parties actually are at this time. Um, I thought I was going to give a little bit more information about who the Federalists were and what they believed. So we're going to have to go to a new page on this. And this is sometimes what happens when you're not fully prepared. And, you know, sometimes when you look things up, um, you get some bad information where it actually says the Federalist Party was the first American political party. They were not. Uh, they were the first around, but they did not organize as a political party uh, really until 1791. Uh, but the Federalists called for a strong national government that promoted economic growth and fostered friendly relationships uh, with Great Britain um, in opposition to the revolutionary France. Interesting that uh, a little less than 20 years removed uh, from the Revolutionary War. The, the Federalists were behind Great Britain and opposed to France, who helped us win that war. And then um, the Democratic-Republican Party, obviously uh, a little bit different. Um, they opposed the centralized policies of Alexander Hamilton. Uh, who was the Secretary of Treasury under President George Washington. Um, but they were more against a strong Federalist government. Um, so, And that's really the main differences between the two. Not all the differences, but the two main differences. Federalists favored a strong federal government, hence the name. 
the Democratic Republican Party really, even though they formed because of Alexander Hamilton, they were against a strong federal mm-hmm. government. So basically what happens uh, through the nominating pr- uh, process is John Adams becomes the nominee for the Federalist Party. John, uh, Thomas Jefferson becomes the nominee for the Democratic Republican Party. Uh, here's the main difference so far, and this happened in the previous election. Uh, but even though they did nominate, each candidate did nominate uh, running mates, uh, it wasn't necessarily guaranteed that those men would become vice president were they elected. All right, and welcome back. Uh, we're moving on to the actual election now of uh, 1796. Uh, in 1792, uh, well, after the 1792, Tennessee was admitted uh, to the United States, increasing the Electoral College to 138 electors. Uh, under the system that was in place uh, prior to the, the 1804 ratification of the 12th Amendment, uh, and this actually goes back to correct something I had said uh, in the first episode, uh, electors were ca- uh, were to cast votes for two persons for president. The runner-up in the presidential race was elected vice president. Uh, now, the way they did this is they did not, you know, they didn't tell anyone who they were voting for, and they didn't actually distinguish if they were voting for, well, in this case, um, John Adams for president or Thomas Jefferson for president. They were just basically marking on the ballot who they wanted. Um. So, and just to explain this a little bit more, if no candidate won votes from a majority of the Electoral College, the House of Representatives would hold a contingent election to select the winner. Um, Each party intended to uh, manipulate the results by having some of their electors cast one vote for the intended presidential candidate and one vote for somebody besides the intended vice presidential candidate. This would leave their vice presidential uh, candidate a few votes shy of their presidential candidate. Um, but because at this time communication between the states was really slow, it actually made it very difficult to coordinate this. Um, so here we are, election of 1796, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, forecasters, we do have swing states, New York and Pennsylvania. Uh, Adams and Jefferson want to combine 139 electoral votes, um, from the 138 members of the Electoral College, the Federalists swept uh, every state north of the Mason-Dixie line, uh, with the exception of Pennsylvania. Uh, one Pennsylvania elector did vote for Adams. Democratic Republicans won the votes of most Southern electors. Uh, but the, However, the electors of Maryland and Delaware gave a majority of their votes to Federalist candidates, while North Carolina and Virginia both gave Adams one. So how, how does this work out as far as the electors? Um, John Adams received 71 electoral votes. He needed 70 uh, to win. Thomas Jefferson received 68. Thomas Pickney, 59. Aaron Burr, 30. Samuel Adams, 15. Uh, so the way that it was supposed to work is, you know, if they had their connection uh their communication correct, they would have voted John Adams, the Federalists would have voted John Adams for president, 
Thomas picked me for vice president. However, it didn't quite work out that way, and Thomas Jefferson became vice president. This is actually one of only, uh, I believe, two times. I want to make sure I have that. Well, actually, well, to, to say it correct, this is only the 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 first time where the president and vice president were from different parties. Um, later, John Quincy Adams and John C. Calhoun would later be elected president and vice president as political opponents. They were actually in the same party. And while Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln's second vice president, was a Democrat, Lincoln actually ran on a combined National Union Party ticket in 1864, which combined... Uh, Republic, the Republican Party and Northern Democrats. So this is the only time in the United States history that two men from opposing parties uh, actually served as president and vice president. So again, we look at this. Uh, John Adams received 71 electoral votes. Thomas Jefferson received 68. So that is who becomes um, uh, president was John Adams. Thomas Jefferson becomes vice president. Uh, and just an aside, uh, nationwide, most electors voted for Adams and a second Federalist or for Jefferson and a second Democratic-Republican, as I mentioned earlier. But there were several exceptions to this rule. One elector in Maryland voted for both Adams and Jefferson, and two electors cast votes for Washington, who wasn't even running. Uh, Pickney won the second vote from a majority of the electors who voted for Adams, but 21 electors from New England and Maryland cast their second votes for other candidates. Uh, and now we think about this, um, and, and today we talk a lot about faithless electors. I, I mean, can you imagine running elections today that even kind of mirrored how they did it in the first few elections in this country? I, I mean, it, it was an absolute crapshoot of who would actually become president and who would become vice president. Uh, so, uh, up next, uh, we'll be talking about the popular vote, which, again, at this point, uh, not a lot of places are offering um, a popular vote. Uh, I do want to, just quickly, before I take my break and go over the popular vote, let's talk about the method of choosing electors, as we did in the first episode. Um, now... In the Constitution, in Article 2, Section 1, it provides the state legislatures should decide the manner in which their electors were cho chosen, so different state legislatures chose different manner, uh, methods. Uh, in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and South Carolina, and Vermont, uh, each elector was appointed by their state legislature. In Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina, and Virginia, the state was divided into electoral districts, which, as I keep saying, is the way they should be doing this uh, today. Uh, one elector chosen per district by the voters of that district. In Georgia and Pennsylvania, each elector was chosen by voters statewide. That's a little bit closer to the way we do it now, uh, although we have just a winner-take-all method. Uh, in Massachusetts, two electors were appointed by the, appointed by the state legislature, and each remaining elector was chosen by the state. 
legislature from the list of the top two vote-getters in each congressional district. New Hampshire, uh, the way they chose their electors is that they were chosen by voters statewide. However, if no candidate won the majority of the state legislature would appoint a, an elector from the top two candidates. And then Tennessee, the newest state in the union, um, they did it on a three-pronged system. The state was divided into electoral districts with one elector chosen per, uh, per district. Uh, each county chose an elector delegated uh, by popular vote. And then an elector is chosen by electoral delegates of the counties within their district. That's a lot. All right, so take a, another quick break. Come back to the popular vote. Uh, wrap this little episode up. Hello, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks. Still looking for supporters out there anywhere in the internet universe. And did you know that you could be a supporter of this podcast for as little as 99 cents a month? Or if you want to be a little generous, you can go to $4.99 a month. Or if you want to be very generous, you can go up to $9.99 a month. All you need to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash prez forecast. That is P-R-E-Z forecast. Select the amount that you want to send me each month to help me with this podcast and make it even better each time I come out. Go to that website. You can also leave me a message. It is an audio message. If you say something funny, I may even put it on the air. That is anchor.fm forward slash prize forecast. So your support today. All right. So we are about to move on to the popular vote by state. Uh, I just want to pick up one more thing from the electoral votes by state. And that's how each state voted. Um, so with Connecticut, they had nine electoral votes. They all went to Adams. Delaware had three electoral votes. They all, um, let me, let me rephrase this. Let me, let me try this again. Um, Connecticut had nine electoral votes, but you remember they can vote twice. Uh, so nine went to John Adams, four went to Thomas Pickney and five went to Jay. Delaware had three. Uh, all uh, three went to John Adams. Three went to Pickney. Georgia had four. Uh, four went to Jefferson. Four went to Clinton. So there's the state right off the bat that was supposed to be voting for Burr, but they voted for Clinton instead. Uh, Kentucky, four went for uh, four electoral votes. Four went to Jefferson. Four went to Burr. In Maryland, they had 10 electoral votes. Uh, seven went to John Adams, four went to Jefferson, four went to Pickney, three went to Burr, and two went to Henry. Massachusetts, uh, 16 electoral votes, uh, 16 went to John Adams, 13 went to Pickney, Thomas Pickney, one went to Ellsworth, two went to Johnston. New Hampshire had six electoral votes, six went to Adams, six went to Ellsworth. New Jersey had seven electoral votes. Seven went to Pick or seven went to John Adams. Seven went to Thomas Pickney, and that's it. New York had twelve, with twelve going to John Adams, twelve going to Pickney. North Carolina, uh, twelve electoral votes. One went to John Adams, which is pretty much where he won the election, and also Pennsylvania. 
11 went to Jefferson, 1 went to Thomas Pickney, 6 went to Burr, 3 went to Iredell, 1 went to Washington, even though he was not running, and 1 went to Charles Pickney. In Pennsylvania, with 15 electoral votes, 1 went to John Adams, uh, 11 went to Jefferson, 1 went to Thomas Pickney, 6 went to Burr, 3 went to Iredell. I'm, off, I'm on the wrong line. We'll try this again. Pennsylvania had 15, with one going to Adams, 14 going to Jefferson, two going to Pickney, 13 going to Burr. And there we go. Rhode Island had four electoral votes, with four going to Adams, and four going to Ellsworth. In South Carolina, eight, with eight electoral votes. Jefferson received eight. Thomas Pickney received eight. So this is where they really, really screwed up in Rhode Island. Um, on their second round of voting, they were supposed to have voted for Thomas Pickney. They voted for Ellsworth instead. South Carolina, uh, eight were supposed to go to Burr, but they went to Pickney instead. And then Tennessee, three electoral votes. Three went to Jefferson. Three went to Burr. In Vermont, with four electoral votes, four went to John Adams. Four went to Pickney. And then Virginia... One went to John Adams, 20 went to Jefferson, one went to Pickney, one went to Burr, 15 went to Adams, three went to Clinton, one went to Washington. So this is where you see where John Adams actually wins the presidency. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, who were supposed to be Democratic-Republican states, and yet three electors in each state decided to go to Adams instead of Jefferson, and he becomes uh, president. And then the vice president was completely messed up. Uh, if they'd voted correctly, sorry for the barking outside, if they'd voted correctly, John Adams would have become president, Pickney would have become vice president. They didn't vote that way. Uh, so Pickney actually finished third in the voting. Thomas Jefferson finished second and became vice president. Now, the fact that Washington still managed to get two uh, electoral votes, even though he was not even running, uh, tells you pretty much how much he was, in fact, loved in this country. So, on to the popular vote, which isn't going to take up too much time. Um, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine states who held popular votes. Three we have absolutely no totals from. And that's Kentucky, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Uh, Georgia, uh, 249 people voted for Adams. 6,200 voted for Jefferson. Jefferson picked up 96.44% of the election. Uh, in Maryland, uh, Adams received 7,029 votes. Uh, to Jefferson, 6,490 votes. A margin of difference of 539 votes. Uh, but Adams did pick up 51.99%. Massachusetts, which had uh, 5,247 people voted, and they all voted for Adams. I personally find that a little questionable. Not sure how that happened. That, that almost never happens. New Hampshire, uh, 3,719 people voted for Adams. 681 voted for Jefferson. Uh, this is a difference of 3,000 votes between the two men. 
And then in Pennsylvania, which might show you why one elector did go ahead and vote for Adams, 12,185 uh, men voted for Adams, while 12,306 men voted for Jefferson, uh, a difference of 121 out of roughly 25,000 votes. And then in Virginia, uh, 1,722 men voted for Adams, 3,721 men voted for Jefferson. Um, a difference of 1,999 votes. Um, so we will look at the popular vote versus the electoral vote. And this is something that I will discuss much later uh, when we actually get the full system in place of voting popular going towards electoral college. Uh, but Adams did win the popular vote. Uh, 53.4% to uh, 46.6%. But he won the electoral vote, 51.4% to 49.3%. Now, in a time when the electoral vote really had, or the popular vote really had nothing to do with the electoral vote, that's a really close margin, uh, how close they were. It was only really a difference of 2% for Adams going from 53.4 to 51.4 and just a little under three for Jefferson going from 46.6 up to 49.3. So as I mentioned before, uh, the following, um, this election would be the only time in our history that a president and vice president were from different parties. Um, And uh, Jefferson actually used his position as vice president to attack uh, President Adams' uh, policies. And this election would actually provide part of the impetus uh, for the 12th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which was ratified in 1804, which changed the way elections were held. Um, I'm not going to talk about that really much right now. I will wait until we actually talk about that election, which will be in the next episode. Uh, and then one final note, on January 6, uh, 1797, Representative William L. Smith of South Carolina presented a resolution floor of the House of Representatives for an amendment to the Constitution by which the presidential electors would designate e- which candidate would be president and which would be vice president. No action was taken on this proposal, um, which would set the stage for what happens in 1800. The next election, the fourth quadrennial election, uh, it is really one of the most uh, drama-filled elections in our history. Uh, sorry to those um, that thought it was 2020. 2020 doesn't hold a candle to almost most of our early elections. Uh, so that's really it for the third quadrennial election. I'm going to do uh, one more segment. This is really going to be a short show, which I apologize, depending on how my last segment will do. And it's just really my thoughts on the past week. Stay tuned. All right, forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum listen, uh, listenership. 
and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, forecasters, and now for my final segment of the night, my take on the last week uh, that we've had. So everybody knows by now, on Wednesday, January 6th, we witnessed an insurrection at our nation's capital. I live-streamed it, made a podcast of it, which I'm happy to say a lot of people listen to. But in the moment... Uh, watching it in person, uh, it was one of the most terrifying things I'd ever watched in my life. And as we move further away from it, and we get new images and new videos daily, uh, what exactly took place? What exactly was planned? And what fortunately did not happen should shake every true-blooded American to their core. These traitors to the United States had full plans to go into that capital, search out the Democratic leaders, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, among others, and also Vice President Pence. Now, it's not clear what they planned to do once they captured him, but they did set up gallows. And someone did. Um, if this had been carried out by more intelligent people, we'd be in a different, very much different state than we are right now, Comp- if it had been carried out by competent people. Uh, now, what should really bring everyone just a sense of, of dread and what in the world was going on is that these people, once they got into the Capitol, they seemed to know exactly where they were going. They were finding offices that they should not have been able to find just on a regular, unless they had inside knowledge. Nancy Pelosi's office, the, 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 the office of the Speaker of the House, is purposely set to where you should not be able to find it unless you know where it is. But that's not the main thing for me. We... This country survived this insurrection uh, because it was led by a bunch of incompetent people. But you look at the senators and representatives and the President of the United States that was behind this push. And they are guilty of this too. There's no two ways around this. And at the top of my list in, in, in Congress are Cruz and Hawley. 
because they really set this motion in Congress. I, I don't think we would have had anyone try to stop this. Well, we would have in the House, but in order to actually stop the count and debate whether or not a state's electors should be counted, you need someone from the House, you need someone from the Senate. If you hadn't had Holly first and then Cruz right on his heels because he, he Cruz hates to be outshined by someone else. If you hadn't had those two gentlemen, uh, um, let me rephrase that. If you hadn't had those two idiots stand up and, and question it, I'm not sure we would have been in the situation today. But really, where it kind of sticks to my craw, where it just kind of, part of my language, pisses me off, is that these same men and women who have spent four years physically trying to divide us into two different categories, Democrats, Republicans, The day on the 6th leading up to what happened, they were very clear in their language what they wanted to see happen. They are just as responsible for that insurrection as the actual insurrectionist because they incited these people. <coughs> Excuse me. These people decided it was okay to do it because President Trump said it was okay. Rudy Giuliani said it was okay. Ivanka Trump said it was okay. Donald J. Trump Jr. said it was okay. Eric Trump said it was okay. Ted Cruz said it was okay. Hawley said it was okay. And now that it actually happened and they had to run for their lives, these same men and women who incited this insurrection, now all of a sudden, after mocking Biden for wanting to unite this country, now, all of a sudden, that's all they want to talk about. We can't unite this country if we go down this path and try to hold people accountable for the words they spoke. I'm not buying it. If we truly want this country to heal, to, to unite, we have to see the American justice system work. And that means holding those accountable that were responsible for inciting this violence. If we do what we've always done and do nothing, a new batch of insurrectionists will rise up in their place. They're already planning for the 17th and 20th. And not just in our nation's capital, but in all state capitals. As long as our politicians keep turning their back on what's going on, this will continue. And it will get worse. It will get worse. <clears throat> now, am I in favor of President Trump being impeached? Absolutely. I think he should resign. I would say that they should do the 25th Amendment, but even though Trump hung Mike Pence out to dry, encouraged his supporters to go after him. 
and now is ignoring him. Pence is still loyal to him. And knowing the difference between right and wrong has nothing to do with loyalty, ladies and gentlemen. If someone incites insurrection, they should be made accountable, even if it is a president of the United States of America. And he is going to be impeached. I, I don't see him being convicted again. But if anything else, I want them to hold them the vote on the impeachment because I want to see the names of the Republicans who look at what happened on the 6th and say, eh, eh, we shouldn't hold him accountable for it. Because every single one of those representatives who vote no on this impeachment should be voted out in 2022. Pure and simple. We are at a crossroads in this country right now. Do we do the right thing and move forward with this country? Or we do or do we do the wrong thing and just continue doing what we've done and just hope for the best? I personally believe we need to do the right thing and hold those responsible. Even if that means expelling 140-some-odd senators and representatives who tried to overturn an election that they knew was not fraudulent. That's my big thing. There's not a single person in the Senate or the House, and I am talking specifically to the five Oklahoma representatives, They know this election wasn't fraudulent. They know it wasn't stolen. They know there was nothing wrong with this election. They know Donald Trump lost this election fair and square. And yet they will still lie to their supporters and try to overturn an election. Trying to think of the right wording here. If you throw your oath away, if you violate your oath to Congress and to the Constitution of the United States, you should not be in office. And I'm sorry if that seems a little bit radical, but holy crap. When, as Americans, do we say enough is enough? But anyways, that's it for tonight's show. That's it for my podcast. Next week, I'll be working on the third and, I'm sorry, the fourth and fifth quadrennial election. I'm going to combine those into two episodes. Something I mentioned on my live stream that I have not mentioned on my podcast. Um in an effort to kind of shorten up my season because it was going to run 59 episodes. Um, any president that was elected twice that, that won re-election, I'm going to cover both their elections in one episode just to make it a little bit simpler for me. Uh, but until next week, uh, as always, my friends, stay safe. Wear your mask out in public. 
Stay socially distanced at least six feet from someone else when possible. Y'all have a good week. Good night.